I believe that is one of the most powerful tools that God can give you. Your personal story of how Jesus is at work in your life. Another person needs to hear that story. Another person needs to know where you've come from, what you've gone through, how Jesus um, introduced himself to you, and how you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes that can seem so scary. It can seem intimidating. We have these wrong ideas uh, of what that sometimes looks like because sometimes church people haven't always done that well. Uh, they can be preachy or, or shout or yell or condemn, but it doesn't have to look like that. It can look like you just telling the good news of Jesus as you have personally experienced it. And so that's what we've been talking about this month. We've been looking at how we've been blessed by God in order to be a blessing to someone else. It's not just about us. It's about Jesus changing our lives, but also using us on mission in this world to help change other people's lives as we introduce them to him. And so we found an acrostic that we stole, and uh, we're just using it this month. And it was B-L-E-S-S. And we, we said, this is a, a new way of thinking about living our lives so that we can be a blessing to others and introduce others to Jesus Christ. And we looked at the letter B, and that stands for begin with prayer. So before you maybe talk to someone about Jesus, why don't you talk to Jesus about someone and, and just start praying for that person that you want to build a relationship with so that you can find the right time that God would give you to share Jesus with them. And pray for them. Pray for what God's doing in their life. Pray that they'll have an open heart and a receptive heart. The L in the acrostic stands for listen with care. So begin with prayer, then listen with care. Listen to the Spirit's leading in your life and in their life, but also listen to the person you want to share Jesus with. Listen to what their questions are. Listen to their, their fears. Uh, listen to those hurts, habits, and hang-ups that they're dealing with because God can often use those as pivot points to help them see that Jesus is the answer to what you're dealing with. He's the, he's the solution to your problem and then E stands for eat together. Yeah, I knew we would like that one. This means you can't just do this quickly. This is not a drive-by. This means you're, you're building relationships with people. You're hanging out with people. You're doing life together. Uh, maybe for you, the E is not eat together. Maybe it's exercise together, and uh, you're trying to be a little more healthy. I've had a chance to meet many people at my cardiac rehab, and, and I, I'm, I'm inviting them to our church, and several have said that they're going to come, and so I'm hoping that uh, one day that they will. And then S, as we talked about last week, the first S in bless reminds us to serve with love. Whenever you talk to a person, get to know a person, listen to that person, start praying for that person, you will often discover ways that you can serve them with love. That if there's a need that they have, you can meet that need. Sometimes it's just to be a listening ear. Sometimes it's to be a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes it's to prepare a meal after they come home from surgery. Or maybe it's to be there uh, as a sponsor in their recovery program. Maybe uh, you can serve them at work. If it's a coworker, come alongside of them and say, how can I help you? And then today we're going to finish out the series with this last S. And uh, aren't you glad I didn't use the word blessings? We'd be here for a long time. <laughs> but this last S, and that is share your story. And that's the point we want to get to. Uh, it's not enough for us to just do good and love people. That's awesome, and that should motivate what we do. But eventually, we're looking for an opportunity to share our story 
Because our story can be a bridge to Jesus' story. And it's the story of Jesus that changes people's lives. Let's just be honest. It's not my story. It's not your story. It's the story of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection that can change a person's life when they realize that God loved you so much that he wants to spend forever with you. And he had to deal with your sin problem first. And he did it himself through his own son, Jesus. And if that's not love, I don't know what is. That's love. And so our story can be a bridge to help someone else uh, hear the story of Jesus. And there are many places where a man named Paul in the Bible shared his story of how he came to faith in Christ. But because of our limited time this morning, I'm not going to look at the typical one we would go to in Acts chapter 26. Instead, I want to take you to a, a really condensed version of his story in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll look at verses 1 through 11. I'm going to put the words on the screen. You may want to turn on your Bible and follow along with me as well. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, if, you, if you're new to church or if you're new to the Bible, you need to know who this guy Paul is. And you need to know how he got to the point where he's in the Bible, in the New Testament. In fact, he wrote the majority of what we call the New Testament. Because he wasn't always a Christ follower. In fact, he lived in the first century during the same time of Jesus. And he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel. Paul was a good Jew. And he considered anyone who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah to be a blasphemer. As far as Paul was concerned, Jesus was just a criminal that the Romans had put to death through crucifixion. And later, he starts hearing these rumors from the followers of Jesus that Jesus not only died, but he rose from the dead. And that he is the Savior, he's the Son of God. And he hated that. He hated those Christians who, who preached that gospel, that good news as they called it, that Jesus is the Savior. So being a religious, zealous Jew, he made it his ambition to stamp out Christianity. He was one of the early persecutors of Christians. In fact, the first time you, you meet Paul, he's named Saul. That was another name he went by. But he is there when the first Christian martyr dies. That first Christian martyr named Stephen. When Stephen is being stoned to death by the Jews for blasphemy, for blasphemy as they would call it, for preaching that Jesus is the Savior, we learn in the book of Acts that Saul was there holding the coats of the men who were killing Stephen. And the Bible says that Saul, Paul as we now know him, consented to the death of Stephen. And the word in the Bible, in the Greek language for consented, means to applaud. So Saul was happy this guy's dying. We need to see more of these people die. If they're going to go around blaspheming our God, saying that a crucified criminal is the Savior. And so he would get authority from the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court. And he would get authority from them to go to different villages and cities and to find Jews who were now professing faith in Jesus. And he had authority to arrest them. And he would arrest them, take them back, put them on trial. Many of them were beaten, persecuted, imprisoned. Some were even killed. He was a persecutor of the church. And yet, here we are this morning about to read about his 
faith in Jesus. How in the world did we get there? How did, how did this guy's life be transformed like that? It would be like saying, did you hear? This, course, this would have been years ago. The latest terrorist just got saved. You say, whoa, what happened? i got to know that story. And so we want to we hear his story. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in the city of Corinth. And he is writing to the Christians this. He says in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. Of the good news I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, verse 2, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Unless you believed in vain. Now the reason Paul is writing this letter, among other reasons, is there's a controversy in this church about whether or not we followers of Jesus should expect to have our bodies resurrected one day when Christ returns. And some were saying, there's no resurrection coming for us. Our bodies, once they're dead and gone, that's it. There's no bodily resurrection. And Paul is writing to correct that. He's wanting them to know, yes, there is going to come a day when Jesus returns that all those who have believed in him not only have had their souls saved and their sins forgiven, they're going to get brand new bodies that will never grow old, never be sick, never be tempted by sin, will never die. We will have brand new bodies just like Jesus had when he walked out of that tomb on that first Easter morning. That's a whole other sermon. We don't have time to get into all that. But that's the point he's saying. And he's warning them. Listen, if you've come to the point where you no longer believe this good news about Jesus that you said you believed, then you're not really saved. You believed in vain. It was all just an outward profession. But listen, you don't get points with God for just head knowledge. You've got to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that you have placed your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then he tells them again, this is the good news I preach to you. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So Paul said, I didn't make this up. Here's what he preached to them, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He says, the first thing I preached to you, I shared with you, I talked to you about when I was with you is that Christ died for our sins, just like the Old Testament scriptures had prophesied he would. Paul says, remember when I came to you, I told you we've all got a sin problem. We are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, he would say in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Maybe you feel better than another person. Maybe you look down on other people saying, I don't do what she does. I don't have his problem. He said, but that's the wrong standard. You may, you may look good when you compare your life to other people, but we have all fallen short of the glory of God, the perfection of God revealed in Jesus. All of us fall short when we compare our lives to Jesus' life. Man, we are sinners. And the word sin means to miss the mark. It, it's the picture of a bullseye. And the center of the, the target is God's will for our lives. And we have all missed that mark. We have not loved God like we should. We've not loved other people like we should. We haven't done the things that we should. We've all missed the mark. We have all sinned. And the reason Jesus the Messiah died was not because he had done something wrong. We had done something wrong. 
God sent his spotless, sinless son into this world to be our substitute on the cross. Should have been Ricky dying for his sins. Should have been you dying for your sins. But in the great exchange, Jesus said, give me the sin of the world. I will pay that price and give them my credit for my righteous life if they'll simply receive me by faith. I don't know about you, but I think we got the better end of that deal. Aren't you grateful that Jesus makes that offer that Christ died for our sins, for your sins? So when you go to work tomorrow and people say, what did you do this weekend? Just look around this room and then say, man, I hung out with the biggest bunch of sinners you've ever seen. I mean, a few hundred sinners. And they're going to say, what's the name of that bar? I might check that out. You say, no, no, it's Fort Caroline Baptist Church. That's where I was with all those sinners because we are all sinners. Christ died for our sins. That's the first part of the gospel message. And then he continues in verse 4. He takes us from uh, the cross to the cemetery. Verse 4, that he was buried. When Jesus hung on that cross, he actually died on that cross. He was retrieved from the cross and placed in that borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And there he was buried. And you need to understand today in our world of skepticism where people say Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. The scriptural testimony is he did. And not only did he die, he was buried. But notice something else. Here, here, here's the good news. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That not only did Jesus Christ die as our substitute, not only was he buried, but on the third day after his crucifixion, he was raised by God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, physically walked out of the grave alive. Because listen, it is not good news if your Savior is dead. A dead Savior can save no one. But a living Savior who can conquer sin, who can conquer the grave, he can conquer anything. And we serve a living Savior. Christians celebrate that every year at Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, but actually we celebrate it every Sunday. Do you know why the, this, this movement that began with Jews who celebrated Saturday, the Sabbath, as the holy day, to then they switched to celebrating Sunday as their holy day of worship? What, what made that change? The resurrection of Jesus on that Sunday made the change. Christians kept gathering week after week on that Sunday, say, we just cannot get over what's happened the one that we saw die, the one that we buried, physically walked out of that grave alive on that first Sunday. And we're going to celebrate that we serve a risen Savior. And you say, well, come on, how do we know that? Well, the Christian faith is based not on hearsay. The Christian faith is based on eyewitness testimony of those who lived and those who were martyred and who put their lives on the line for their testimony that they saw Jesus alive. This is why Paul continues in verse 5. He says, and that he appeared, talking about the resurrected Jesus, and that he appeared to Cephas. We know him better as Peter. 
So he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. That's a technical way of saying those original disciples minus Judas, who by this time had betrayed Jesus and had taken his own life. So he appeared to Peter in a special way. We don't know when. We don't know exactly the circumstances. He appeared to his disciples. Then verse 6, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And Paul adds this, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now, when he talks about falling asleep, he's not talking about in church and kind of nodding off when Ricky's preaching. He's using a euphemism to say, listen, Jesus appeared physically alive from the grave to Peter, to the disciples, but also at one time, he appeared to over 500 brothers in Christ at one time. Most of those guys are still alive, even though some of them have died since he appeared to them. They've gone on to be with Jesus. But this is Paul's way of saying, if you don't believe me, go check it out for yourself. These people are still alive. They will tell you they saw Jesus. They spent time with Jesus after his crucifixion because he rose from the dead. Listen, the Christian faith is based on the eyewitness testimony of those who saw Jesus physically alive. Why else would the early church Christians suffer such great persecution? Why would they not just recant? Okay, we'll stop preaching this stuff. We, I don't know if it's true or not. I don't really know that. I just heard it. So I don't really have any, any great investment in this. I, I just, I'll back off. Maybe, maybe what I heard was wrong. But they didn't do that. There is no account of any Christian recanting their faith in Jesus when they were being persecuted. Nero would take Christians and he would dip their bodies in pitch. He would impale them on wooden stakes and set them on fire. He lit the way up to his palace with burning Christians. And none of them recanted. Christians were thrown to the lions in the Colosseum, because they would not stop preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. How did this little nascent movement that everybody thought would end when their would-be Messiah was crucified, how did it spread and in just a few years reach the whole known world where there were Christians all over the Roman Empire? How? There's only one way you can account for it. It wasn't just a rumor. It was hundreds of people who physically saw Jesus alive. I, I can promise you this. If you lost a loved one and you went to the cemetery and you were there when they were buried, but a few days later they were physically alive, you would know it and you would never stop talking about it. Right. My loved one is back. I can't believe this. Now, everybody else might think you were crazy. But you wouldn't care what they called you. You wouldn't care if they threw you in an insane asylum. You wouldn't care if they mocked you. You would not care if they even persecuted you or killed you. You would never stop talking about, I was there when my loved one died. I was there for the funeral. But they rose from the dead physically and I saw them and hundreds of other people saw them. You would keep telling everybody. And yet, even with that eyewitness testimony, not everybody believed. But many did. Now, here, here's another great evidence of the, the veracity of the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 7. Then Jesus appeared to James. Who's that? That was the half-brother of Jesus. According to Matthew's gospel, Jesus had several brothers. 
half-brothers. If you're virgin-born, all your brothers are half-brothers. You'll figure that out on the way home. But anyway, <laughs> James is one of the brothers. And when we meet James in the Gospels, he's not a believer. He thinks Jesus, his brother, is out of his mind. At one point, James and his brothers go to get Jesus. We need to take him home. But then you get to the book of Acts and you find him in the upper room with the other believers praying and worshiping Jesus. Can I ask you a question? What would your brother have to do to convince you he's the son of God? You say nothing. He couldn't do anything. I was there when he got his driver's permit. He's not the son of God. I can tell you that. I, I, I know he's not. You know what it would take for your brother to convince you he's the son of God? He'd have to die for your sin be buried and physically rise from the dead on the third day and you would never doubt him again. And that's what transformed James. So maybe you're a skeptic today. You're not sure if you believe in the resurrection. Here's a changed life that you've got to answer. How did James go from unbelief to belief when he knew Jesus better than anyone? He also appeared to uh, then all the apostles. And then verse 8, here's Paul's testimony. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Jesus, uh, Paul is saying, Jesus also appeared to me. Not in the same time period that he appeared to Peter and the disciples and the 500 and to James and the apostles. No, it was much later than that. Not much later, but just a little later than that. He was on his own mission to persecute more Christians. He was going to Damascus, letters in his hands to arrest Christians, when Jesus physically appeared to him, knocked him to the ground, blinded him with the truth. Jesus said to him, why do you persecute me? And it changed his life. This persecutor of the church became the greatest preacher the church has ever known. He became the greatest missionary the church has ever known. God transformed this man's life because he met Jesus Christ alive. That was his testimony of life before Christ. He says, he appeared to me in an untimely born, verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That's his life before Christ. I persecuted the church of God, but Jesus appeared to me. That's how he came to faith in Christ. And then he tells you about his life since he came to faith in Christ. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the way, that's the testimony of every Christian. No matter who you are, anything good in you is by the grace of God. How God forgave you, saved you, cleaned you up, got you on the right path. Even though none of us are perfect this side of heaven, anything good is by the grace of God. He says, I'm the least because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Paul says, some of you are questioning whether you still believe. He says, I'm going to tell you, I still believe. God's work in my heart was not for nothing in fact, he says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about the other apostles. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Verse 11, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Paul never stopped telling his story because he knew his story was a great bridge to Jesus' story. And listen, you may not have as 
uh, dramatic story as Paul. I hope you've never killed any Christians, you know, and now you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're changing your ways. Uh, but maybe your, maybe your testimony is, hey, I grew up in a Christian family. I always went to church, but I finally came to the point I knew I needed Jesus as my Savior. I don't know what your story is, but your story can be a great bridge to Jesus' story. I, I, I remember when my neighbor moved in next door to me uh, several years ago. He, he's now since moved to another home, so he's no longer my neighbor. I have forgiven him for leaving me uh, because he was one of the best neighbors I ever had. But uh, I remember one of the first times I met him, and we, we did a little work together in his yard. And then I, 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 he asked, I asked him what he did for a living. He told me what brought him to Jacksonville. And then he asked me what I did for a living. <laughs> and whenever I told him I was a pastor, you see the blood drain from his face. He said, listen, I don't want to offend you, but I'm not interested in organized religion. I said, you'll love our church. We're disorganized. You'll love it at Fort Caroline. He said, I'm serious. I'm not interested. So I didn't have this acrostic bless in my mind those years ago, but that's what I tried to do. I tried to just be a good neighbor, tried to be a good friend, and I want you to hear Raphael's story. I'm going to come back and pray for you after this. So I was born in the Dominican Republic. Um, we came to the United States at a very early age, but I was raised by a single mother and my sister, Ida. Um, so we used to go to uh, church every Sunday. We, we were born Catholics. So as older as I got, I, I stopped you know, going to church. Um, being a, a real Catholic, just went during the holidays. I never read the Bible. Uh, I thought the Bible was written by men to express their personal opinion. So I, I didn't care for it. I never even opened it. Um, so that's, that's pretty much how, how our life started. Um, eventually, um, you know, I, I just stopped completely going to church well, all at all. So we started um, looking for apartments. So we went ahead and, and decided to, to buy the house. So we ended up purchasing the house and, and moving uh, next, next to a neighbor that when we were outside uh, playing with Valerie or doing anything, he would have come up and talked about his belief, talked to us about his church. I actually told him that I don't believe in the Bible, that it's just, you know, written for, for you know, men to express their personal opinion. I have never read it. Uh, I told him we were Catholic. And, you know, every time we we were outside for some reason and he was out there, he would have come up and, you know, greet us. Very nice, talk to us. And again, uh, invite us to his church. And, you know, politely, uh, we would decline and, and continue in, in our path. You know, but then there was... Um, we were getting close to an Easter Sunday. That was like nine months after we moved here. We were getting, uh, it was coming Easter. And I was talking to my wife, Carolina, and, and I told her, you know, Easter's coming up. Uh, actually, it's gonna be tomorrow. And, you know, we gotta find a church to go to, you know, being a, a real Catholic, we wanna be a church. And I go, you know, I have an idea. Uh, let's go to the neighbor church and we can kill to bury one stone, God will be happy, we're in a church, and we'll get rid of the neighbor, you know. So we actually decided uh, to visit Fourth Carline. We, we came up um, on a Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday morning, 
uh, we went to the Wacom Center because we didn't know where was the uh, War Center. So they, they walked us in here, they found us a seat, we'd, we'd sit down, we'd, we listened to the service, the music was great. Um, but the, the feeling that we both got for sitting in here for our first time is, is something beyond that, that I can explain. It, it was just amazing. So after the service, we got up and, and we laughed and, and we talked about it all week ago. That was kind of strange, kind of weird. Let's, let's try it again. So the next Sunday we came and it was the same way. And we did it three months in a row. You know, for the last, next, last three months, we came every Sunday. And after three months of, of visiting uh, Fort Carolina, we actually accepted Christ. We both did the same day. We accepted Christ to be our Lord, our Savior, our King. And we got baptized here. So it's, it's amazing how God works. And, it, and it's amazing how, you know, Fort Carolina has become our, our family. You know, it's, it's, it's the most challenging part of, of, of our faith is, is to share it and, and to be obedient to, to Matthew um, chapter 20. It says, you know, to go out to the end of the world and share it. But, you know, I think as well as, as my neighbor, um, how he was very eloquent, very patient, and, and took him nine months of, of sharing little by little without, without judging, without making me feel bad, without correcting the stupidity I was saying about the Bible, about my belief, about organized religion. You know, and, and I keep that in mind that when I'm... I'm talking to somebody and sharing my testimony with somebody or trying to lead somebody to Christ, that our, our job, our responsibility is just to plant the seed and allow the Holy Spirit to work on them. And, and I would like to do the same, and I will advise you to do the same. Just plant the seed, whether it's a friend, a co-worker, or a family member. It's not on our time. It's our job is just to speak of Christ, to share it, and allowed the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Raphael's one of my best friends in the world, but it's an honor now that he, he has a best friend, and that is in Christ, as his Lord and his Savior. And for someone who doesn't believe in organized religion, he has been so active in our church, <laughs> leading a life group, going on mission trips, working on the finance team. He is an awesome man. And I want to encourage you to do what Raphael now does, and that is share your story. In fact, your homework this week is to write out your testimony. And you ought to be able to write it out so that you could share it in under three minutes. You say, oh, there's too much. It'll take me 30 minutes. We're not talking about a sermon. We're talking about a testimony because sometimes you need to give an elevator talk like with Raphael. If he was out working in his yard, I could not take 30 minutes of that man's time and, and, and tell him my story. I would just plant a seed. Here's one little word, maybe in one minute, and I'm done, and I move on to something else. Other times we, we would sit there and have a cup of coffee, and maybe I'd have two or three minutes to tell him where I grew up and what my family life was like. And, and by the way, I'd also listen to his story about who he was and what was important to him. And so you need to write it out. And maybe this will help you give you an outline. Uh, I'll put it up on the screen. My life before Christ. Just write a, a few sentences that hit the major points 
that your life before Christ, what were those needs, those struggles? Don't glorify your sin, by the way. Don't brag on your sin. Just talk about your need for Jesus and how what you were looking for. And I loved what Hannah said. I couldn't find what I was looking for in anything this world had to offer until I found Jesus. So that was her life before Christ. And then how I came to faith in Christ. And that's someone that she saw a difference in his life. What is it about you? Or maybe it was someone invited you to church. Or maybe someone uh, spoke to you at the office. And how you came to faith in Christ. And that's where you can plug in the gospel. You know now from 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. And he rose from the dead on the third day. And I just put my trust in him. And he has forgiven me of my sin. And then my life since I trusted Christ. I'm not perfect. I still have struggles. But now I have Jesus. Who promises to never leave me. Never forsake me. And then that may be a bridge for that person to see how that Jesus is also the answer to what they're going through in their life. You could just be planting a seed. Someone else comes along later and waters that seed. But only God can give the increase. Only God, through his spirit, can draw people to faith in Jesus. And as Raphael said, let's just do our part. Let's just be faithful. I want to pray for you. And maybe today while we're praying, you'll start praying for that person you want to lead to faith in Christ or influence. So why don't we pray and then I'm going to let you go. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, maybe today for the first time in your life, you realize you need Jesus. You need him as your Lord and Savior. This is not about being Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian. This is about a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe today you need him and you want to trust him as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to lead in this prayer and I'm going to give you a chance to tell God silently where you sit that you want to put your faith in Christ as well. So maybe you'll do that today. And if you do that today, would you please let us know that? I would love to rejoice with you. You can either tell me after the service or simpler, you can just go to our website, fcbc.life, and there's a connect card. It says, let's connect. And there's a little place where you can click the button and just say, today I've committed my life to Christ. I would love to know that. I'm just going to pray for you and rejoice with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for what our eyes have seen, what our ears have heard, what our voices have proclaimed. But most of all, we thank you for what our hearts have felt. We have felt your presence in this place today. We know that you're at work in a powerful way in people's lives. And we thank you for the testimony of that through baptism. And we thank you for the next baptism that will take place in the next worship service. Thank you for the baptism that took place last weekend. God, you're changing people's lives. And we want to praise you, God. Would you help us, though, to continue to be on mission with you and to be a blessing to someone else? By beginning with prayer and listening with care and eating together and serving with love. And, and when you give the opportunity to share our story and make sure that our story points people to Jesus' story, the power of the gospel. And Father, we thank you for what you're going to do in our lives and our friends and families and neighbors and coworkers as we point more people to Jesus. And God, there could be somebody in this room today that needs Jesus as their Savior. Maybe today in the silence of their heart, they would say to you, Dear God, that's right, friend, pray in your heart. He'll hear you. Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus is your son. And I believe you sent him into the world those 2,000 years ago on a mission to save sinners. And that's me. And I believe that he lived a perfect life. And I believe he died on the cross to take my punishment for my sin. He had done nothing wrong, but he took my place. And having died, I believe he rose from the dead. 
I don't understand it all, but I know in my heart it's true. And today I confess my sin to Jesus. And I ask and receive his forgiveness. I take him at his word where he promised in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Today, God, I believe. I commit my life. I trust in Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for saving me and forgiving me of my sin. Help me now to learn more about you so that I can live in a way that would point others to you and that would please you. In Jesus' name, we all pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen.